The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. More democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Five homers yesterday uh, with a 7-3 victory. This is against an, a Texas A&M ball club. I almost feel like it's the same start as we saw against Tennessee, though not as many runs as Arkansas scored in the first two games against Tennessee, uh, but uh, definitely doing something that Texas A&M just isn't used to doing. The Aggies hadn't allowed six runs in a ball game in a while. You'd have to go back to April the 26th, the last time they'd allowed even six runs in a ball game. Arkansas puts up seven, and Texas A&M, the team that had allowed the fewest home runs in the SEC, that also hit the fewest, 32 home runs hit and allowed and then Arkansas hits five out of the ballpark yesterday. Sometimes you think that a power display by a team is a little bit fluky. Uh, sometimes you blame it on a bad pitching staff, but there is nothing bad about this Texas A&M pitching staff, and they showed some of that yesterday by striking out 18 Arkansas batters and issuing only one walk. And there certainly isn't anything fluky about the way Arkansas is hitting the baseball now. Maybe you could look at the five-homer game against Northwestern State and figure, yeah, I mean, that could be a little bit fluky. Perhaps the wind was blowing out. Perhaps those pitchers aren't quite the level that you see in the SEC. But now it's happened twice in the last week. Really, twice in the last seven days, Arkansas has hit five homers in one ball game. They did it against LSU. Admittedly, a pitching staff that isn't at its full strength last Thursday, but then they do it against a Texas A&M team that had allowed a total of five home runs in the previous eight games combined. And yesterday, those five home runs came over the pace, not just of the game, over the course of seven innings. Arkansas didn't get a man on base against Chris Weber until the third and uh, and that's when the heckler down below uh, that uh, that was must have been sitting right above the microphone that ESPN uh, uses for their sound effects, and they're so nice to let the radio broadcasts use these sound effects. This heckler down there, and I think anybody who listened to the broadcast on ESPN Arkansas last night uh, remembers the heckler because he got he got into my dome a little bit. Ty, he wouldn't shut up about a couple of things, and it was just a little bit too much to bear at times. And the first thing he's starting to heckle is. Christian Franklin, and he, and he sees up on the video board at Bluebell Park that Christian Franklin is from Kansas. Uh, the batter before him, Jack Kenley, is from Tennessee. The guy on deck, Casey Opitz, is from is from Colorado. And then the number nine batter, Jacob Nesbitt, is from Texas. So he starts heckling, you know, are any of you guys from Arkansas? Yuck, 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 ha, ha, ha. You know, you got to figure, if you're going to come with 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 accusations of being a bunch of out of staters you got to do your research so i was really proud to see that after franklin hit his double and casey opitz singles and nesbitt strikes out and the heckles about are any of your players from arkansas up comes trevor ezel graduate transfer from bryant arkansas a proud town right outside of little rock in saline county and he hit 
maybe his longest home run of the season to deep left field to break a 0-0 tie. And Ezell is not a celebrator. The last time I saw him hit a home run, it was against LSU, and he just crushed it, dropped the bat, and started to jog. He did the Sammy Sosa hop last night, the swing and the two arms out with the hop to the right side. It was an impressive thing. Two innings later... The Jackrabbit from Lone Oak, Arkansas, hits a deep home run that bounced once and then hit the building on the other side past the left field fence. And then somebody from Magnolia, Arkansas, Matt Goodhart, hits a low-line drive wall scraper over the right field fence. Uh, so, And then, of course, the Jackrabbit did it again in the ninth inning. So the five home runs hit yesterday, four of them were hit by Arkansas natives. So... He, he had to stop heckling about that. I'll get into something later on with him uh, in, in the broadcast when we get into our FOMO or JOMO Friday because I'll have a little JOMO and not hearing him today. Uh, Hogg's got another workmanlike great performance from Isaiah Campbell. And it just, it really, Ty, it seemed to be the kind of equation that you saw a lot last year from the start of the season through the end of the season. Wait for your home runs, get a good starting pitching performance. You know, rely on the homer. You're starting to see it a little bit more of late, though I still don't think this is a lineup that relies solely on the home run like at times last year. It's just they're hitting more home runs right now, which is a scary thought for a lineup that is really rounding into form. And I think if you're an opposing fan, now I don't know if there's a lot of things you can criticize this baseball team for, whether it's personal appearance or just their on-the-field talent, but you got to come up with a better name-calling tactic than do you have any guys that play from your own state. Right. I think that almost speaks better to Arkansas that they're not just having to get in-state kids. Yes, most Arkansas fans would like to see in any sport in-state kids on the team and some high and some studs, whatever sport it may be, they'd like them to be from Arkansas. But Arkansas, as we mentioned, has become such a national brand that they can go all over and get these kids. With Clemson and Dabo Sweeney in South Carolina, yes, they get the top kid in South Carolina that they won, but they've become such a transcendent football program that they can go all over now. That brand is so, I mean, they just got the number one quarterback out of California. Let's think about that for a sec. East Coast, West Coast. It's completely on the other side of the United States. Mm-hmm. So if you're an opposing fan, you know, I mean, that's just a pathetic. Like, think of something better to make fun of Arkansas. You can call us Hicks. You can say, we don't have electricity. I've heard it all before. I've been living for 24 years. I've been all over the place. But my goodness, you guys don't have any kids for You can do better than that, Texas A&M fan. And no, I don't think, I don't think he may- could because, because after, after a, a controversial play by Kevin Copps in the seventh inning, picking up a, a ball that was right on the foul line and making a play at first base, and uh, the Aggie fans thought it was a foul ball. He spent the next three innings just screaming foul ball at the plate umpire over and over and over again. So he'd run out of material. That's pretty funny. He totally, he totally run out of material. And, and Isaiah Campbell made sure uh, that those home runs would stand. There was uh, you know, a little bit of a shaky moment uh, with the bullpen later on in the eighth inning when allowed a run. Uh, Kevin Copps giving up an RBI single. But Jacob Kostyshaw came in and slammed the door. Matt Cronin did the same in the ninth. And uh, I want to I want to get in a little bit about Isaiah Campbell here because I mean his his regular season ends at ten wins and one loss and uh, with the uh, six innings yesterday allowing just the one earned run his ERA now two thirty so he and Blaine Knight are the only two pardon me that's his SEC ERA two thirty overall ERA is two fifty which is even more impressive that his his league ERA is lower than it was against the non conference teams. 
Um, both both Isaiah and Blaine Knight are the only Arkansas pitchers in the last six years to win ten games. Of course, Knight finished fourteen and zero. And Campbell, if things go according to plan, he would start at Hoover. He will next Thursday. He'll start Game One of the regionals. You, you, you make it through the regional round, he'll start game one against uh, whoever you play in a super regional. If you make it through that and you're in Omaha, he'll start the first game of that. And then if you make it to the finals, again, that's a fifth start. That There could be five more starts for Isaiah and no more than that uh, by the end of the season. So at 10-1, and one, who knows? He might get to 15 wins the way he's pitching right now. And to be quite honest, Ty, and I, we've gotten into this a little bit, you know, Isaiah Campbell is on the short list, the semifinals, uh, the semifinalist now for the uh, the Golden Spikes Award. Uh, I, I, I think Blaine Knight was also a semifinalist, but I think Isaiah belongs on the list of finalists. I'm not sure if I would have put Blaine in that conversation. And again, I, I, I felt the same way when I was noticing signs of the lineup this year, the 2019 lineup being better than 2018 and I started thinking goodness I feel like a heretic it just doesn't you know it doesn't it doesn't feel right to say these things but I think these things are true the next statement is that Isaiah Campbell is having a better season than Blaine Knight did last year and it actually isn't even close when you look at some of the other metrics aside from wins and losses now the the other thing too is I, I think this year Campbell has had better overall stuff than, than Blaine than Blaine did N- Knight at times like I felt like there were many times where where Dave Van Horn and, and Blaine himself would say you know he didn't quite have his best stuff but he had to go out and battle and he's so good at just competing at finding ways to to get outs when you don't have your best stuff or you're in it you're in a critical situation that was an issue that Campbell had last year where he had trouble battling against adversity there really hasn't been too much adversity against Campbell this year because I think his velocity has been been a little better. Uh, his control numbers have been a little bit better than we saw from Knight as well. And he just has been a more dominant pitcher. The one knock, if you're looking at, if you're comparing the two seasons, is that he does have a personal loss, one loss on his own record. And Knight, of course, I think when you finish 14-0 and and fans are looking at that number and saying, well, he was undefeated, that carries a lot of weight with you, but you do have to discount a pitcher's record. Arkansas did lose three games that Knight pitched last year. They were 16-3 and in his 19 starts. They're 12-2, and and Isaiah Campbell starts up to this point. And, and he's also at the point where you can't afford to lose any of his starts any longer because they're going to be postseason starts. So, all right, throw the record away. Throw the record away. Some of the other metrics that stand up. Campbell's averaging six and a third innings a start. That's two more outs per start than Knight got. His whip, walks and hits divided by innings pitched, essentially the number of base runners that you allow per inning. Campbell's allowing under one base runner per inning. Knight's whip was 1.08, so a little over one run, one batter reaching per inning against him, which is a good number, but under one is dominant. Campbell's strikeout-to-walk ratio is one of the best in the country. Uh, I think going into yesterday's game, it was like seventh in the country. He walked one, he struck out six. That's right on. That's right into the ratio that he pitches with. Six and a half strikeouts for every one walk. Knight's strikeout-to-walk ratio was 4.1. So it's two, almost two and a half strikeouts better for Campbell than Knight comparing strikeouts to walks. He's striking out a batter and a half more per nine innings. He's allowing a batting average that's 15 points lower than Knight did. His overall ERA is 30 points lower than Knight's. And Blaine last year had an ERA Ray in the SEC at 370. Campbell's ERA in the SEC is 230. So 
hey, the numbers for me speak speak for themselves right now. If the question coming into this season was we lost the pitcher who maybe had the best season in our history in Blaine Knight, legend status, truly legendary status on campus at Arkansas, and the question was do we have somebody who can be that ace. And everybody's finger was pointing at Isaiah Campbell. Of course, he was the guy who had to step into that role. He has filled that role, and he has made that role his own, and he is going to be at that same level as Blaine Knight, as a legend, with the sort of season he's having. And you mentioned coming off last year. I think once the season was concluded and after everyone got over what happened in the last game in Omaha, people looked back on Blaine Knight's career and said, man, I don't know if any Arkansas pitcher will have the caliber of career that he had, not career, but the the final season that he played. And then not even a year later, the guy that was supposed to take his place but not be at the same level he is, possibly, as you mentioned, with all the stats you just threw out, maybe has eclipsed him. Now, we'll see what happens in the postseason because you and I know that's where you really make your money. That's where your legend lives on, what you do in postseason play. But nothing to this point that you've seen from Isaiah Campbell, from any team, from multiple different teams, from a ton of competition, would lead you to believe that he's going to falter in postseason play. Now, we'll, now the wins and losses, you don't know about that, but at least you know you're going to get the same stuff that he's been given for you all season. And that is just so weird to say, once again, Phil, that after last season, you had the greatest single season for a pitcher in Arkansas history, and not even a year later, the guy that took his place, from a statistic standpoint, is probably better than he was last year. That's just weird coming out of your mouth. It's weird coming out of my mouth. I'm sure Bubba thinks the same thing. It's just odd to me that that would happen like this in, in so short a time. But you got to give credit to a number of guys. I know Wes Johnson departed for the Twins, but he's a major factor in this. you got to give credit to the new pitching coach, Matt Hobbs, and then obviously, last but not least, Dave Van Horn. That's, yeah, that's definitely... And Isaiah Campbell. He deserved a little credit, too. Yes, it's definitely not last when you're talking about, about Dave Van Horn or Matt Hobbs, but it, it, it has to go to the pitcher specifically because they can only go so far. And, 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 and Dave has pointed out, he mentioned it on the pregame interview yesterday, how Campbell has grown not just as a pitcher but as a leader. Who did Connor Nolan say he spends most of his time with when we I, had him on the show uh, earlier this week? Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it was Isaiah Campbell. He's learning from Isaiah Campbell the way that he handles his business, the way that he pitches. And it's not just a matter of watching him on the field. It's, it's spending time with him off the field. And I know, I know he and, and Connor have already built a pretty close relationship, which you feel like... You know, Isaiah, when we had him on at the start of the season, he pointed to the relationship that he had with Blaine Knight exactly. the year before. I mean, this is, this is uh, it's like the elders passing on the wisdom that they had just learned, but you feel even weirder calling somebody who's 21 years old an elder. So when John McDonald was doing what he was doing with the Arkansas track program, there were stories, and he would talk about how he did less coaching the older he got because there was just such a standard that his track members would set for themselves. And the older guys would just know that, hey, we're the teachers now. We have to teach these guys. And there was an expectation for the young guns coming in. It's like, hey, this is how we do things. There's a reason that we've been so good for so long. There's a reason we have all these national championships. And you're kind of getting that same production from this baseball team now under Dave Van Horn where there's such an expectation of excellence 
every single year. Now, you're not at the point where you're winning national championships every single year like John McDonald, but you're competing for the SEC title every single year, it seems like. And so you mentioned the Blaine Knight to to Isaiah Campbell and then Isaiah Campbell to Connor Nolan. It's just a moving cycle, and it's the it's the old adage, you don't recruit, you reload. That's just, and that's what they're doing right now under David. And it's just, it, it's almost, I'm not going to say it's flawless, but it, it, it's about as good as it gets when it comes to turning kids over each position year after year because we talked about it. What's the, you're not even like worried about next year because you think the team next year, we'll see what this team does postseason play, but you're so excited for next year's squad too. You said the exact same thing after the 2017 team. That's just the mindset that keeps recycling in your head over and over again, which you can't say that about basketball. You can't say that about football. It's just nice as an, to be an Arkansas fan and look at this sport to say, to look at the teams year after year and say, man, this guy's going to teach this guy in the offseason. This guy's going to be ready for the next year. You don't have that in the other sports, Phil. Well, there's a makeup of this team right now that's different than what you saw last year because it was such a senior, junior-laden club. I mean, you lost 10 players to the draft, and and, and that's got to stand for something. I think the experience had a lot to do with Arkansas' success last year. But this might be an overall more talented team, uh, especially in the lineup, honestly, because the last year there were moments that you felt that the offense might be stuck in neutral because they were always seemingly waiting for that for that three-run homer. Now, the home runs are coming in bunches right now. They've hit 37 home runs in the last 18 games. Think about that. That's over two home runs per game over about a month period. So last year... You hit, what was it, 98 home runs. Mm-hmm. I think that yesterday was the 53rd game. Uh, now this team is at 75 homers. After 53 games last year, they'd hit 78. So they're almost right on the same pace. But they're doing so many more things offensively that generate runs. It's not just about homers. What stands out about this team, and we've gotten into this too, it's the extra base hits, which include the home runs, but it's also the, the balls down the line, the balls into the gap, and the singles that you turn into doubles, which speed is also a part of that. And that was that was lacking at times last year. There's more speed to this team, and that also leads to, you know, uh, you know, a single down the left field line or a single that's about 20 feet away from the left field line. For a lot of these hitters, they're doubles. There wouldn't have been doubles for those guys last year. So, I mean, they're scoring about a run more per game right now. Uh, they're slugging better. Last year's slugging percentage, 475. This year, it's 512. 512 slugging percentage is the second best in the SEC, seventh best in the country. Arkansas has a total of 209 extra base hits. Uh, that's that's with yesterday's, what was it, five home runs and, let me look at the box scores, five home runs and three doubles. You had eight extra base hits. Goodness gracious. Eight extra base hits against a pitching staff that had allowed a slugging percentage of three of uh, 329. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so the, last year, here's another here's another instance. They, it was just a home run hitting team. 98 home runs, total of 218 extra base hits. Arkansas is nine extra base hits away from that total right now. They played 69 games last year. We have 16 more games to reach 69. They, they may end up, I mean, hey, eight extra base hits yesterday. <laughs> What's to say they don't get nine today? Well, I'll tell you why, because they're facing a much better pitcher. They're facing John Duxaxis, who's a legitimate first-round talent. 
with an ERA that is well under one. So I mean, I don't see nine extra base hits today. But as Bubba always says, Ty, we 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 look at these we look at these statistics for opposing teams, and sometimes we make them seem to be these you know eight foot hulking monsters that can just scare a baseball over the fence or scare a batter into submission. But as Bubba says, they haven't faced the Razorbacks yet. This kid is a lefty, though, right, if I remember seeing that? He is a lefty, but, but but then again, I mean, they hit four home runs off lefties yeah, yesterday. That's a good point. That's the thing. I mean, I don't think this team struggles against lefties. It's just they don't – they crush righties. They just don't crush lefties. They hit lefties they hit, just fine. They hit lefties. They just don't crush lefties. And, Phil, how about we close on this? We're, we're always comparing this team to last year's team, right? But – if they, this is the first time in Dave Van Horn's tenure that they've won twenty SEC games. Mm-hmm. Think about that. It's crazy. He's had some fantastic ball clubs that have come through Fayetteville, Arkansas, and yet this team in in twenty nineteen is the first one. Now they have a chance if they somehow, some way, sweep Texas A and M to tie Norm, Norm DeBryan's team in ninety nine. But that's just an incredible stack. And we always, well, we've done this entire season, and it's. It's pretty. It's pretty on the line considering how good last team's your last year's team was. Is that's all we've compared this year's team to? But what about the idea of this team was to make it to Omaha and do something incredible? Then it has to be un like undeniably Dave's best team ever. Now again, I'll say it once. I'll say it again. It doesn't matter. It's all for none unless you get to Omaha. Postseason postseason success is the only thing you can quantify in this business. But if that happens, and if that comes to fruition, then we can't just we can't box them in to just compare them to last year's team. We have to open up the box, not Pandora's box, but open up to every single team that's come through Dave Van Horn's ball or Dave Van Horn's team since he got to Arkansas, Phil. Well, it's trending upward, that's for sure. To to have a team that's it's not only the first time that Arkansas has won twenty conference games under Dave Van Horn. This is the second time it's ever happened. It happened in 1999, uh, one of Norm DeBrine's last teams. In fact, I think that was that that wasn't a last gasp because his last team went to the Super Regionals. I think that was 2002. But that 99 team won the SEC regular season. Didn't make it to Omaha though. So I mean, it's one of those years where you look back and say, "Wow, that was a great season." But it's a big but. And uh, I don't know the dynamics of that team about the, compared to this team, but right now this team's got all the hallmarks of not just being a team that that uh, that makes it to Omaha, but would be one of the favorites when you get there, just like last year. I want to thank my buddy Jeff Taylor at Jeff's Clubhouse for sponsoring the Halftime Pod. Jeff's has the best soup, sandwiches, and salads in the area. The Peppercorn Ranch is to die for. Reuben, off the charts. If you haven't been to Jeff's Clubhouse in Fort Smith, you got to go check it out. Back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Aaron, how you doing, my man? I'm great, fellas. Uh, I'm really well. I missed your guys' call last week. I apologize. Uh, Arkansas has like 11 new basketball players since we last spoke, so a lot to talk about. How are you guys doing? Yeah, they do. It is like 11 new players, and it's, it was almost impossible to keep up with all of the offers that were going out there or even some of the transfers that were coming in for visits. But over the course of Wednesday and Thursday, you get two big pieces, and I guess it depends on whether or not Connor Vanover is going to be able to get that waiver to play next year. But it seems like two really good gets with Vanover and Isaiah Moss. 
Yeah, I, I think um, with Vanover, with is it Vanover? I am like, uh, I, my mind's in the middle. You know, guys, my bachelor party's next week, so I'm really just really focused in on that right now. Um, anything that's not related to that, I'm having trouble thinking about. But uh, I'll say this, is that Vanover, I think it is. it almost might be better if he doesn't get the waiver, and I know that's not what Arkansas fans want to hear, but look, he's seven foot three. He's very much a project, a lot to work on. And one of the things that Musselman and his staff did as well as anybody in the country when they were at Nevada was using that year off to make guys into super productive players. Um, you know, we all saw Cody and Caleb Martin last year and the year before. Uh, Jordan Caroline, who is all Mountain West this year, uh, was a, a transfer that was productive right away. I actually think next year Nevada's best player might be a kid named Jalen Harris. No relation to Arkansas is Jalen Harris. There's two Jalen Harrises in Musselman's life uh, who I think is going to be really good after sitting out this year as well. So I bring all this up to say I think Vanover will be uh, a nice piece maybe for 2020, 2021. Uh, but Isaiah Moss, you know, the, the thing with Musselman that I think a lot of us wondered was, can he still play the transfer game and get players who can be productive at the SEC level? You can do it at Nevada. You can do it in the Mountain West. Can you do it at Arkansas? And so far, so good. I think Isaiah Moss is a guy with a lot of experience in a lot of big games and a lot of tough environments. He's going to come to Arkansas, and I think he's going to be a contributor right away. Definitely not a team that's going to want for experience. That was the main thing about this last year was size and experience, and that's not the case anymore. Aaron, you brought well, it up. One, so. one other thing real quick, Phil. Sure. The other thing that it helps, which goes really understated, is practice. I mean, whether, you know, whether um, whether mostly, I understand that a couple of these guys are eligible right away, but having guys like that sit out helps practice. Mm-hmm. It helps get the other guys that are on the court ready to go. It makes things more competitive. Um, you know, there have been plenty of examples of plenty of schools across the country where they have two or three transfers sitting out, and it makes practice that much more competitive. So I just don't want to let, let that go understated. Obviously, uh, Arkansas not quite done recruiting yet. And in the future, I think they're going to hit the transfer market as well. And I think that's an important element of why Musselman and his staff believe in transfers, not just because of what they can do on the court, but if they are sitting out a year, the, the, the value that they bring behind the scenes. I really think Coach Musselman seems to have a really well-rounded view on how to build a college team. All right, so you, you brought it up. I was going to get into it early in the interview, but you just brought it up. Ty, I love how you know we develop relationships in radio with people that we've never met before. I have this, this, sure. this relationship with guys back in the studio on the Razorback Sports Network, guys I've worked with for four years that I feel like I know well, but I barely even know what their faces look like. I've known wow, Aaron you just now don't show for up the studio, huh? That's right. Well, I mean, and you're you're on this list with me now, Aaron, because on a previous radio station, I'd I'd, I'd had you on as a guest with Wes, and and back then you were just starting. I think you were just moving in with your girlfriend at the time. Now she's a wow. fiance. You alluded to the bachelor party, so I saw the photo on Facebook. Congratulations! I don't know when you popped the question, but it obviously was answered the way that it needed to be answered. Properly. You yeah. got the bachelor party. What do you got done. planned for the bachelor party next week? Oh, man. Well, uh, I'm going to Las Vegas, fabulous Las Vegas. Ty's never been, so, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll say a small prayer for that guy. You know, we'll, we'll, he'll grow into a man at some point and get to <laughs> Vegas. But, listen, you know, I'm a pretty low-key guy. I'm a drink beverages by the pool kind of guy. 
Uh, you know, I, listen, I, I love going during football season, basketball season, placing small wagers on some games. I'm not a huge gambler. I'm definitely not a huge table games kind of guy. Uh, but, yeah, like if I'm there during basketball season, yeah, I'll throw 20 bucks on something. I actually almost bet Arkansas to win the College World Series I re- last time I, I, rem- was there. I remember seeing the photo of the odds, and I think I asked you to put 20 bucks on the Razorbacks, and that would have been $20 well spent. Yeah, I, I know. So I didn't do that. But so anyway, no, so I'm a, I'm a by-the-pool, uh, you know, drink Coronas by the pool kind of guy. Uh, you know, listen, I'm getting older now. I can't, I, can't, I can't hang as late as I used to. But, no, I mean, for people who've been to Vegas, they know. Like, if you want to go crazy and be in that whole scene, you can go crazy. But uh, you can also just lay by the pool, relax. You know, maybe some of my single friends will bring over some some company uh, of the opposite sex. It's not, you know, listen, I can't control what they do. But I will say this. I do think, and and Phil, you know this, is that as we get older, you know, I'm going to go serious Torres right now, but as you get older, you know, you just don't get to spend as much time with your friends and your people. You know, when you're Ty's age, you think, oh, I'm going to hang out with my friends all the time, and we're going to be 23 forever and live the best life. And it's as you get older, you realize that that's really not the case. So more than anything, I'm honestly just looking forward to, I'm blessed having a bunch of really good friends from different walks of life, college, uh, my my professional career, all that stuff. And just I, I'm just really excited about getting them all together in one place uh, and having a little bit of fun. Ty, I don't buy a word he's saying. I think he and his buddies are going to go kidnap a lion. What do you think? Man, it's going to be hangover part four down there in Vegas next week, man. It's going to be so. It's going to be wild. You know what's actually really funny about that is I have a really good friend who's a teacher, and he reminds me of Bradley Cooper from The Hangover because I don't even <laughs> think he likes kids. I don't know how he got into teaching, but uh, next Thursday is his last day of school, and I just went out for him with drinks uh, a couple days ago, and uh, he is going to... Uh, the second that that bell rings, he's going to throw a bunch of papers in the air, shove some kids out of the way, and go straight to the airport. So <laughs> I don't know how far off that's going to be, uh, that, that description is going to be. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any wild animals in the hotel room. But, hey, if it happens, that's how we know I had a good time, right? Talking all things with Aaron Torres here, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron, I'd love to keep talking Bachelor stuff, especially since I've never been to one. But I, let's, let's get do it. Let's get to. Let's you can come, come next weekend. What are you doing, man? I what am I doing next weekend? I am. I'm doing the tub races down in Hot Springs. So I am already booked up. That's but, Bachelor party material yeah, right there. It's it, I dude. Yeah, I know there might be some tub races. We'll see where the weekend takes me. <laughs> Not in Hot Springs, but whatever. Hey, it used to uh, back in the day, man. When Capone and Bugsy Moran were going down there, that used to be. One of the popping places in the United States, not so much anymore. I mean, it's still it's still a cool spot, but it, not to the level of Vegas or anything like that. Um, so yeah. keep it, Aaron. Go, let's get back to Musk real quick. So one of the things he to. said, <laughs> one of the things he said on the morning rush this week is he wants to compete with other blue blood schools for players. And it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to follow through and do it. Do you think now he's at Arkansas that he can compete with other top-tier college basketball programs for some of the best high school kids in the country? I do, Ty. And, and look, I, I think part of it is what kind of success does he have next season, all that stuff. I'll say this, a couple things. One, we've learned through the years players like playing with other good players. And so, uh, but they also want to go to a place where they know they can develop, they know they can win. But I think it's a great sign for Arkansas fans that when he was at Nevada, I mean, he got Jordan Brown, who was a McDonald's All-American. Now, things had to, to, to work out, uh, you know, 
things kind of fell into place for him. There were some coaches that were fired. Arizona was on probation. Or, you know, they were under NCAA investigation, FBI investigation. UCLA ran out of scholarships. But they still got Jordan Brown, who was basically the first-ever McDonald's All-American to come to Nevada. Technically, they had another one, but he was a, a local kid, whatever. So the fact that Jordan Brown was going to go there, the fact that Kyrie Walker, who is, of course, now being recruited by Arkansas, uh, was very seriously committing, uh, seriously considering going to Nevada, I think this is a great sign now because now you do have the Power 5 school. You do have the facilities. And, and I, you know, I, I will say this, a credit to Nevada, they really kind of improved a lot of things uh, while Musselman was at Nevada. But I'll give you guys a little bit of inside baseball right now, and I think it's something that I don't think most people realize, is that even within the context of the Mountain West, um, Nevada isn't considered one of the better jobs in the Mountain West. San Diego State is probably the best. UNLV has some history. New Mexico. Nevada's pretty far down the list. And so the fact that, one, that Musselman won the way that he did there, but then, two, he made it almost a destination job where they can go get a Steve Alford type and pay him a million dollars a year or whatever, it speaks to what Eric Musselman did at a place like Nevada. So I think it's a great sign that that, uh, he's now at a Power 5 school, that we know that Arkansas has any resource or any financial commitment that he needs he's going to get as long as he lives up to his end of the bargain on the court i do think he'll be able to go after those guys i do think he'll have success and the one thing that we've seen over the last couple years it's not just kentucky and uh duke who are getting these guys anymore i mean uh you know uh memphis is having a lot of success this year darius garland went to vanderbilt this past season even though he didn't play a ton florida has a really highly ranked recruiting class and so I don't think guys are as beholden to I have to go to Duke or I have to go to Kentucky as they once were. Um, it's, it's still, you know, it's a process. Muscle will have to win there. He'll have to have success this season. But with the way he recruits, the aggressiveness, the fact that he has that NBA background, if he can continue, if he can have success on the court, I do think it's going to lead to recruiting success off the court as well. All right, Aaron, last one for you. The question's going to be simple. The answer for your end is going to be tough. What should Zion Williamson do? Well, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I kind of half-jokingly brought up right after the lottery uh, when, it, when it was clear that he wasn't happy about New Orleans getting the pick. I said, you know, players can enter the NBA draft and return to college this year even if they hire an agent. And I didn't realize that he hasn't even hired an agent yet and that he could go back to Duke. But, no, I mean, look, he's going to go to New Orleans. I don't think he's going to demand a trade. He's certainly not going back to college. Uh, I just think he's too good of a kid. And the other thing is is that, uh, you know, I, I don't know – I, I don't know where he could force his hand to, right? Like, everyone's making the Eli Manning comparison. I don't remember a ton of details around that. But, um, you know, it, it felt like there was kind of a natural way to get him to New York when that happened. I don't know um, that, there's a natural, that there's a natural fit. I mean, yeah, Zion wanted to go to New York, but there's always the possibility that the Knicks could end up trading that number three overall pick, uh, maybe for Anthony Davis, his future teammates. So I'm just saying this to say it, it made for kind of a great 24-hour narrative and talking point. I just don't know really what his realistic options are other than to just kind of suck it up and say, New Orleans won the lottery, that's where I'm going to end up going. 
AT, always appreciate the talk. Good luck with the uh, last-minute uh, planning for the bachelor party. Do we get you next Friday, or are you going to be partying next Friday? I was, I was just going to tell you, uh, the likely you could call me. Uh, I may be a few beverages deep at that point. We can, we can try to see what happens, uh, but I would say the likelihood, uh, you know, what is the... Uh, the old saying from the deflate gate thing, it's more probable than not that I won't pick up my phone or I won't be in position to talk to you. I'll just put it that way. I think the other one I'm going to live by is it's 5 o'clock somewhere. So maybe we'll schedule for two segments. How about that? Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, listen, you schedule me. You could schedule me for the whole show. Whether I pick up, you know, listen, there may, listen I'm in Vegas. You got to roll those dice, Phil. Maybe I'll pick up. Maybe I won't. We'll see. It's a good point. It does take two to tango. AT, always appreciate you. Have a great day. All right, guys. Have fun. Thank you. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. It is Friday. We got things that we got to do this weekend, but there are other things we've got to do that we might have a little FOMO about. Or in the case of what I'm about to start with, a little JOMO. JOMO being the joy of missing out and... I am going to have joy of missing out on the idiot Texas A&M heckler who was sitting down on the first row yesterday uh, right next to one of the two microphones that ESPN was utilizing for the sound effects feed. And they're so good to give us the sound effects feed for television, for the radio broadcasts. And I've always loved uh, getting the sound from the field. I mean, it almost feels like you're sitting there on home plate, hear the umpire, hear the bat, hear the pitch hitting the mitt and everything around it. But then you also, at some of these parks where it's very intimate surroundings, you hear the heckling coming from fans. And it all depends on who's sitting by the microphone and what he or she feels like doing. We've dealt with this all season. Uh, the Whistler at, uh, at Vanderbilt. Some of the things that the uh, Auburn fans were heckling about right under, uh, right under the booth. Uh, so this is just more of the same in the SEC. But I feel like this guy down there just had no clue what he was doing when it came to heckling. He's heckling Arkansas about, in his mind, not having any players from Arkansas. You end up with four homers hit by three guys from Arkansas. There are eight guys on this team that are from Arkansas. So, And look, you're never going to be able to build an entire baseball team based upon in-state talent when you're a small state like Arkansas is. But even Texas, even Texas A&M, they've got kids. They had a kid pitching yesterday he's from New Hampshire. Yeah, they've, they're mostly from Texas, but they've got plenty of players from other spots as well. Now that I look at it, they've got one player who's not from Texas, and it's the one from New Hampshire. That doesn't seem to fit. New Hampshire guy playing for Texas for a Texas A&M. Anyway, um, the Jomo is I'm not using the feed tomorrow. I got a lot of I got a lot of tweets from fans who did not like hearing this <laughs> idiot heckler, and I didn't like hearing him either. But there wasn't anything I could do about it yesterday because um, I had to stretch the cord two booths away uh, to ESPN booths, which is past the home booth to my left. And there was nothing I can do about it. And I didn't want to sound like we're just sitting in a room. You wouldn't hear the, the sounds of the ballpark. So we'll do a little bit better today. We'll just have the crowd microphone dangling out here. So what that means is I have to hope, hope against hope sometimes, that the people who are sitting right under the booth, they're the ones that are going to be right underneath the crowd microphone, that they will not be idiot hecklers too. Because at that point, I don't know where to go. I have Jomo on knowing I'm not going to hear idiot heckler down there but I maybe I have a little a little fear, not FOMA, but outright fear that I don't know who's sitting under the booth. So it could be six in one half dozen the other. By the way, this just came to my attention. We we're talking about John having to mess with the logs. 
Phil, he's driving down to Dallas right now to go see Jim Gaffigan. So when he, he when he gets to his hotel, he's gonna have to spend the next like two or three hours like fixing that, or not two or three hours, but like an hour or so fixing that. That just sorry, that just popped in my head. Oh, the beauty of the beauty of radio the programming. Beauty, the beauty of radio. No, but I, see, here's the thing about hecklers. There's guys like Spike Lee who are iconic, who I really enjoy, even not being a Knicks fan. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where you just can't. You can't stand whoever it is because they say the same annoying things. They have the same annoying body movements. And it's just, it's frustrating sometimes. It's kind of like when you look at different players on your team comparatively to other teams. Like, for example, the Warriors, they love Draymond Green, even though, and they love him because of his antics and because of the things he does. But every other NBA team and every other NBA fan despises Draymond Green. So it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. It's the, your grass or their grass, it depends on if they're on your team or not. I'm sure Texas A&M fans love that guy. But as Arkansas fans, you learn to despise them. So that makes sense for me. Phil, Los Angeles, where Mr. Aaron Torres lives right now, there's some traffic down there. Oh, my God, it's miserable. It's frightening. I mean, they have traffic jams at 3 in the morning. Yeah, it's bad. So Burger King has hatched the idea that they actually initially tested this theory in Mexico City, delivering food on motorcycles to people stuck in traffic. It's a phenomenal idea. It might be it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's going to be dubbed the Traffic Jam Whopper. What you're going to do is you're going to have this app <laughs> where there's a delivery zone about two miles within where the Burger King's at. There's multiple Burger King's out there in Los An- the greater Los Angeles area. So you'll have plenty of different options to choose from. You'll order. Once the order's placed, Burger King will send a delivery boy or girl, guy or, or guy or woman, on the motorcycle. They'll drive in between traffic. They'll use the Google Map technology to pinpoint your exact location, and then they'll deliver your food. And it only takes about 15 minutes. So to be stuck in traffic, you're hungry, you're trying to get home, hmm, I'm just going to go to my, my Apple phone or my Android, and I'm going to order some BK. Uh, I got some FOMO. They're not doing this in Fort Smith. Even I don't have FOMO. We don't have traffic here, but I got some FOMO <laughs> that I couldn't actually do this down here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I have I have to laugh sometimes when when anybody in Arkansas complains about traffic. Because and hey, look in in Northwest Arkansas and, and in some spots in Fort Smith and in Little Rock, there are some moments of traffic. No, Fort Smith does. Let me let me tell you something. Living here, there's not. There's just not. Like there's not traffic. You can't. You could say that about Northwest Arkansas, Little Rock. Fort Smith doesn't know. It just doesn't. But but it doesn't compare to what you see in 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 the really big cities in the United States, and even my hometown, Pittsburgh, which I would say is a medium sized city. The traffic sucks there. I mean, it's miserable. But L.A. is a whole other whole other story. There are people that probably would starve to death in traffic jams, that die of thirst in their cars in traffic jams. I mean, these things can last for five or six hours. This is not this is not just delivering food this is delivering sustenance to people that are in an emergency in some cases so i mean you almost feel like they need this how did it take this long to actually do it and this also takes the idea of a car hop way over the left field fence yeah you know i mean it used to be they would bring they would bring you your food on roller skates they still do that at sonic which blows my kids away when there's actually a car hop that is on roller skates but what about the idea of some goofball roller skating down the interstate in a traffic jam with a with a whopper for so with a whopper and onion rings and a coke for the guy who's stuck for 5 hours can you imagine actually experiencing that firsthand to just be sitting in traffic and then, because what's going to happen is someone's going to see the Burger King being delivered to the car in front or behind them, and be like, 
Why am I not doing that? So they'll get on their phone. It's it's a great marketing idea. I don't know if it's actually going to work because it's one thing to test in Mexico City. It's another thing to test it in the greater Los Angeles area. But I'm kind of excited to see how it unfolds. All right. I've got a little bit of FOMO. And I, I, I almost struggled to figure out a way to describe this as as fear of missing out. We are currently in the moment of the greatest run of Arkansas baseball. It's a, it's a proud program. Nine visits to the College World Series. Never been there two years in a row. And, I mean, who knows what happens in the next month, but this team is in position to do it. But now you, you're looking now, no matter what happens, Arkansas will host a regional for the third straight year, and I think that's the first time they've ever hosted regional tournaments in three consecutive years. They are going to be a national seed, which is two years in a row. First time, I believe, that that has happened as well. And if this team does what they look like they're prime and ready to do, which is make another run to the College World Series, and if you're and, and I still think they would be one of the favorites if they get to TD Ameritrade Park. Now, the, the real golden age of anything involving Arkansas athletics was basketball in the early to mid-90s. Three Final Fours out of five years, and, of course, the 94 national title, and then finishing runner-up in 95. What you've got going in baseball right here is something that's very special. And we've been looking back on that mid-'90s basketball run quite a bit over the last few months, with it being the 25th anniversary of the 1994 National Championship. And I feel like one of the themes of, of that conversation is you're looking back on it with perspective of missing those times because you're not in that place now. You're on a new coach. Uh, you're, you know, it's you haven't been, you didn't make the NCAA tournament last year. Haven't been to the Sweet Sixteen in in twenty some years. So you, you you want to enjoy the moment when you're there, but it's almost impossible to have that perspective in the moment. I'm trying to have that perspective in the moment with every broadcast that I. Uh, get to perform for this baseball team because I've been around a lot of losing baseball teams, mostly in the minors. I was around the worst Arkansas baseball team, the 2016 team. I know what it's like to be around losing baseball. So I'm trying to have the perspective, and I think I'm doing it, of enjoying everything about what this baseball team has done this year, last year, and even the 2017 team that didn't make it out of the Fayetteville Regional. This is a special time. They're raising the profile of the sport of baseball to a place that it's never been in the state. That means something to me personally. So I'm, <laughs> pardon me, I'm choking on the train. I, uh, I'm trying to have that perspective that this is the most special time in Arkansas baseball history. And sometimes I wonder if it's difficult to do. So I have a little FOMO about it. So when you think about some of the the most successful teams as of late, you think about the New England Patriots, how the Patriots fans have known nothing but winning recently. You think about the Golden State Warriors. You think about Alabama football. And what happens when when these fan bases go through times that are nothing but success, they forget what it's like to lose. They forget what it's like to go through agonizing pain and loss because of your favorite sports team. And... Props to you for realizing that, yes, this is awesome, this is great, and we need to – you want to cherish, and it's like appreciate is what you're alluding to. And it's hard to do that sometimes when you get caught up in this success and you think it's going to last forever. It doesn't. 
franchises haven't been good for 50 plus years. They haven't had the success. That just doesn't happen. College level, pro level doesn't happen like that in sports. So, yeah, I'm, for the for the fans that are getting to witness this Arkansas baseball program right now and just the amount of success Dave Van Horn is having, don't think it's going to last forever. I'm not trying to jinx it, knock on knock on wood, but that's just that's just the honest truth about it, Phil. Yeah, and again, I I think I'm bringing the right perspective onto it, and I think a lot of that has to do with with being in the minors where games felt like they didn't matter and still losing hurt. It sucked, you know, if you lose 80 games over 140 game season, which I've seen a couple times. That's just not fun to be around. But I also can't help but have the you know look have a future perspective of thinking they're they're in position to do this again next year and the year after that and now then you have a cycle going so i'm almost looking at i'm almost trying to look at it both ways which you can't do speaking of minor leagues phil a guy by the name of mark schwartz who's the play-by-play guy correct me if i'm wrong when saying this somerset patriots is that yes that's an atlantic league team that's the league that's implementing the uh the robotic strike zone and is pushing is pushing the mound back a little bit. That's the experimental league. Okay, so they play in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Phil, check out this call. Skeeter's the only other team aside from the Patriots and the Ducks with double-digit wins on the young season. The 1-1. Cardulo swings and fouls it off towards the broadcast booth. And I make the catch on the foul ball. I am very proud of myself. <laughs> I hope somebody got video of that. As I caught it on the fly, and it's a one-two count. Boy, am I impressive. What a play by me. Luckily, someone did catch that on video, so he was able to get the audio from his game broadcast and combine it with the actual video of him catching the foul ball. And, Phil, I thought this was a once-in-a-lifetime never-happened-in-minor leagues, but apparently you have a little, a couple examples in your past of you doing this back in the day. Yeah, man. I saw the rundown this morning, and you said you had FOMO that I would never get this opportunity. Let me separate this into two things. One, I may get that opportunity tonight or tomorrow because the, the way that the visiting booth in, in at Texas A&M is situated is that we are just above the, the, the wire that holds the backstop net, probably about two or three feet above the net. So I'm in foul ball territory. A Casey Martin foul ball, if it didn't hit the top of the net yesterday, would have come into the booth and probably shattered my left hand in many places because I would have tried to catch the sucker. So I think it might happen over the next two days. The other thing here is I've, I've accomplished this feat three times, and I have audio evidence of this, but it's, it's back in my apartment uh, in, a, in an old hard drive, and I'll have to go back and, 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 and find it. Because, so I've caught three foul balls on radio broadcasts. All with all while working for the Arkansas Travelers. I had a couple of foul balls whiz past my head and make a dent in the back wall of the booth, but there were three that I caught. One of them was a pop-up at Arvest Ballpark, a pop-up that went straight back and was just at the right angle that it landed in my left hand in the radio booth while I'm on the air. So that's the first time it happened. I forget the season that was. And then I think the second time it happened would have been either 2009 or 2010 at Dickey Stevens Park. We're playing San Antonio. So this is this is ridiculous. It was the same hitter over the course of 10 pitches. He hit two foul balls into my booth. I caught them both on the air. 10 pitches apart. You do, by the way, when you're a radio guy, I don't care if you catch the balls, you don't keep them. 
you, you send them down to a kid down below. So I dropped both of those balls down below. There's evidence of this in the newspaper. It was in the Democrat Gazette. Please I say you've aud- kept it, right? You I have audio me. evidence of this as well. Okay. I will find this evidence for you. I will play that for you because I've done this three times. I am sure-handed. I was a catcher when I played baseball. I can still catch. I don't. I used to bring a glove with me when I did games down the right field line at Dickie Stevens Park in the beer garden. We did like eight or nine broadcasts that were not just in foul ball territory, but I mean screaming foul ball territory, dangerous foul ball territory. I did they, I did those games with a glove on my hand. Never got one. The the I don't wear a glove in the booth. That would be stupid. But sometimes I feel like I could use it. But I did catch three foul balls. So Mark Schwartz, get off my lawn. That's a that's a halftime homework bonus assignment. You bringing in those calls next week because I'm gonna. I think our audience and me firsthand really uh, want to hear those. Phil. It's gonna have to wait until the week after because we we're not gonna be back to oh, Arkansas yeah, until after the SEC tournament. You're so on that ten day excursion, and that's right. I'll tell you what, since you're gonna be so jam packed with regional stuff, possibly super in Omaha, I'm not gonna make you do it. But once you get all settled in, once after the postseason's done. And see if you can muster up those calls, and we'll play them on. It'll be a good memento to end the baseball season in a good way, Phil. I'll find them for you. I might even find somebody that actually saw it happen. Down for that. All right, so you got another FOMO? Yeah. Uh, last one. So John Daly, uh, you saw, we talked about it earlier this week, how he was going to be in a golf cart. Well, uh, Phil, his knee's not feeling too good. How's the knee feeling? Like <laughs> so this is one of the greatest appearances from Jonathan, and he's just got some iconic clothes that he's wearing. But he's just—he's got these Yankee-like pajama pants. It looked on. like pajama pants. That's what I said. It was just incredible. But his knee's not feeling great. He's got some cigs in the golf cart, a McDonald's cup full of Diet Coke. It's just—it's wild. He—he he shot a seventy-five, which I mean. 156. That's excuse me. 112th and 156 player field. It's not bad, but uh, yeah, apparently his knees like the size of a softball right now. So that's that's not great for his health or his as from a guy. Actually, that's, that's was, after the first round he plays. I know it's and from guys Phil and I that both suffer from knee problems. We we can kind of attest that when your knee swells up to the size of a softball, it's it's not going to be a good thing. So, But a uh, little FOMO, I didn't get to see John Daly in his attire this weekend because I, I really would like to. And just see him kind of mosey around that golf cart, I think that would have been a good time. I've got some FOMO on, on missing out on what would have happened during the 1994 Major League Baseball season. That's This is the 25th anniversary of the Major League Baseball strike that, that almost, in a lot of fans' mind, killed the game. It did kill a franchise. The Montreal Expos had the best record in baseball when the players' strike began on August the 11th. Uh, their record, if I can find it, uh, was, let's see, they'd won 74 games and lost just 40. And that was easily the best record in the major leagues. Uh, they had Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom, Delino DeShields, Pedro Martinez, Dennis Martinez, John Wetland. This was a great team managed by uh, Felipe Alou. And uh, the Major League Baseball strike killed the season, killed any chance the Expos had to go to the World Series. They might have been the front runner. And it pre- pretty much killed the Montreal Expos franchise. They moved to uh, Florida 
or probably they didn't move to Florida. They moved to Washington, D.C. about eight years later. Um, it also killed the chance that we could have had to see a 400 hitter. Tony Gwynn finished that season at 394. If you, that's the highest batting average for a champion uh, that's not over 400, I think. Um, and, and if you're at 394 on August the 11th and you're Tony Gwynn, you can't tell me that he, that he wouldn't have at least had a chance or finished close to 400. Matt Williams, the third baseman for the Giants, was going to make a run at the home run record. He did 43 homers with less than a couple months to go. So uh, that uh, that Major League Baseball season of 94 could have been special. I was at the All-Star game that year. It was at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. Sat in like the 10th row behind third base. Greatest All-Star game ever played with a National League comeback that went 10 innings and an amazing play at the plate to finish the game. But the season was killed by the players' strike. It was 25 years ago, almost to, to the day, and I got some FOMO on what that would have been like if the 94 season would have concluded. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.